If you think you might be an entrepreneur in the making, this is the tool to help you confirm whether you are or you aren't. Okay, today's guest on the Gravity Podcast is Gino Wickman. Gino is an entrepreneur since the age of 21 and has had an obsession for learning what makes businesses and entrepreneurs thrive. At 25, he took over the family business, which was deeply in debt and in need of help. After turning the company around and running it for seven years, he and his partner successfully sold the company. Gino then set out to help entrepreneurs and leaders get what they want from their businesses based on his years of real-world experience. He created the Entrepreneurial Operating System, EOS, a practical method for helping companies achieve greatness. He has personally delivered more than 1,900 full-day sessions for more than 135 companies, helping them implement EOS. He is also the author of the award-winning best-selling book, Traction, Get a Grip on Your Business, as well as Get a Grip, Rocket Fuel, How to Be a Great Boss, and What the Heck is EOS, which have sold more than 1 million copies. Gino is the founder of EOS Worldwide, an organization that helps tens of thousands of businesses implement EOS with the aid of an international team of over 350 professionals and certified EOS implementers and online support. There are almost 100,000 companies using the EOS tools worldwide. It is really awesome to have you, Gino. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Brett, it is a pleasure to be here. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, you know, it's funny when I just think back a little bit upon uh, kind of getting to know you. Uh, you know, we are in strategic coach together. And I remember, you know, kind of a meeting uh, of the minds out at uh, Abundance 360. Yes. Where, you know, we had kind of a, a good connection and it really seemed like, you know, there was some real depth to your story and to to kind of what you're doing and who you are that I was really drawn to. So it's, it's uh, great to have you here on the podcast. That's really what we're trying to do here is to get people to see the full person, the full human being, and that full journey um, that has led to the success that they've had. You've had a lot of success, but I know there's a real deep, beautiful journey there. So uh, maybe you could start at the beginning and just tell us a little bit about kind of early childhood, your upbringing, your family, et cetera. Yeah, sure. And it's you know, it's really funny because I, when I was building EOS Worldwide, I didn't do one single podcast to build that. And now with this new project, I'm doing a lot of podcasts and I was thinking about why I don't do them typically. And it's because I don't love talking about myself. But so, so I, I prepare you and start with that disclaimer because get ready. You may have to pull a few things out of me. My focus is always about them, you know, and so it's always about who I'm helping, who the audience is. You know how the content helps them. So with that, I'll uh, in answering your question. Growing up, I moved nine times by the time I was ten. So a very entrepreneurial father, and uh, that certainly has to have an effect on a human being. Uh, I had an older brother and a younger brother, so I was a, a middle son, and uh, and and a newfound half sister uh, when I was about forty years old. So with that, grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. Had 16 cousins, uh, 14 out of 16 were all self-employed at one point. So just a very entrepreneurial uh, family. I did not go to college. Uh, there's only, I think, one out of 16 cousins that went to college. It happened to be my younger brother um, and um, just took my leap. You know, I just wanted to go make money. And so I graduated high school with a solid 2.3 GPA. <laughs> And in and, and high school, it was just a party to me. It was all about fun. Academia is not for me. And, and so as my friends all went off to college, I just went to work and, and, and kind of got educated my own wild and crazy uh, entrepreneurial way. Yeah. Gino, let me hop in there for a second because, you know, there, there's a lot there kind of early on that I want to just better understand. And, you know, I'm like already remembering why I, uh, why I love you and why I'm, you know, so kind of relating to you because, you know, I had the same experience from an academic standpoint. It wasn't for me. You know, it was all a party and learning like a ton, right? You know, and, and I really give that period of time a lot of kind of credit for who I am today. 
right? I, I, that was my education. But before we get to that, I want to, I want to kind of go back nine. Did you say you were in nine cities by the age of 10? And you credited that to your dad being an entrepreneur. Is so tell me a little bit about you know what was happening, where you were moving, why, you know, was he in and out of a whole bunch of things? Tell me a little more about that. Yeah, exactly. So he was um he was in the Navy for nine years, but that wasn't part of the moving because he was out of the Navy right around when I was born. And so, but when he came out, he started a milk route, which failed. And so that was a move. And then he got into real estate. And when he got into real estate sales, he failed in his first year and changed offices. And that was a move. And then he became very successful, um, a top producer. And from there, uh, became a manager and then a general manager and then a trainer and then a national train director. And so every one of those moves was a move. And so each time he made another move in his career, it was another physical move. And so at the point that he became the national training director for Realty World, which back in the mid 70s, that was the big real estate uh, company, that was a move to Virginia. So all of the moves were around Southeast Michigan, but for the one to Virginia when I was nine. And then he went out on his own and formed his own training company and became a renowned speaker, Hall of Fame speaker in the National Speakers Association. And so that was a move. And then once he started that, things kind of stabilized. And so the next house uh, we stayed in for seven years and, uh, and they continue to move around. So, so my mom and dad have moved now 22 times in their marriage, I think. It's, it's, it's amazing. So, so what, you know, most of the time I think, you know, we're just kind of going with what is, you know, when you're, you're young, you don't really, you know, kind of have a lot of perspective on, sure. on, you know, what's happening, but what was that like for you? Was it just like, Hey, we, this is what we do. Was it like, was, did it suck? Were you, was it adventurous, exciting? What was it like? Uh, I, you know, I, I just was rolling with the punches and kind of going with it. So I, I don't know what it was like, uh, honest to God, because this is what I thought life was. And what I fondly remember is each move was kind of during the school year. And so I can remember the teacher reading the note to the class saying, class, we have a new student, his name is. <laughs> and then I remember her sharing with the class, class, unfortunately, Gito's leaving us. So it's like, <laughs> just kind of come yeah. and go. It yeah. was absolutely, absolute insanity. Um, and then again, there were good and bad, you know, coming into a new city, a bunch of new people. Uh, so I... I don't know how deep you want to go into some of the specifics, but it, yeah. you know, there's nothing easy about it in hindsight, but it, during it, it's just, this is life. This is how life yeah. works. Yeah. Well, we'll go as deep as you're willing to go. I mean, if there's anything in there you want to share, love to hear it. You know, it's, it's, um, I, I'm just, you know, kind of, it's just kind of struck me as, you know, these, these early childhood experiences, I, I do think really tend to kind of uh, form who we are. And, you know, the, what I'm imagining, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you know you you kind of have to get pretty tough, pretty quick to be able to you know we class we have a new student. Those are some scary words, right? You know, and if you're hearing that you know every oh, yeah. year, yeah. you know you got to figure out how to navigate things, and oh, yeah. you know as an entrepreneur, certainly that becomes critical. So. You know, is that a skill that you developed, you know, by going through that experience? Yeah, there's no question. And I haven't psychoanalyzed it too much, but for sure. And, um, you know, and some of those experiences were difficult. Like one of the things that would happen is this was probably fourth, fifth and sixth grade. When I would come into a new area, the the girls would like me and that would piss the guys off. And so, you know, fights <laughs> and people wanting to kick my ass. And I so a lot of fear. And uh, so, that you know, there's that going on. I definitely developed this ability to adapt, you know, to each situation. Mm -hmm. uh, I developed a great sense of humor. So I knew, learned that humor gets me out of a lot of stuff. Uh -huh. um, and uh, uh, I was an absolute nut in middle school and high school, because then that sense of humor really served me well. And I was, you know, the class clown, rowdiest kid in school. I was, I was wild and crazy. And I, I also rebelled a lot. So I think there was some built in anger that I was experiencing as a pretty angry kid at 15 discovered alcohol. You know, that was uh, that, that made things wild and crazy. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then shoot forward to my mid-20s. I then worked it all out in therapy during, okay. seven, during seven years of therapy. So Well, well good. I, I, we're going to talk about that yeah. too. But tell me a little bit. So, you know, this, you know, we talked a little bit about kind of not necessarily being, um, you know, academic and really, you know, excelling in school and, and you know, that being just not your thing. And I'm curious just to kind of like get into that a little bit deeper with you, because I'm wondering, you know, it's, it's clear that you're, you're, you're smart, you have, you know, great intelligence, um, you know, and, and, you know, I, and I believe that, right. It's not just like work ethic. It's not like you just know how to grind. Like you, you, you're actually, uh, uh, I've talked to you. I know you, you're an intelligent man, right? It was, it was, there was something about the school experience that wasn't, connecting to you. And, you know, you mentioned the anger. Is this just kind of like your um, rebellion? You're kind of like not wanting to conform? You, you know, what is it that has you not wanting to do well in school and instead, you know, kind of get attention or find your friends your kind of way through partying, humor, goofing off, you know, being rebellious? You know, why is that, do you think? Well, again, I I don't know that I have the perfect answer for you. You know, and going to the intelligence, I would consider myself to be very street smart and definitely a hard worker and a lot of grit. So I I do believe, you know, I have to and had to work twice as hard as everyone else. But, you know, again, I it's hard for me to answer the question because I think it goes back to all of that craziness and 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 the other the other thing is our parents my parents gave us a lot of freedom. They gave us so much free reign to just run. And so to me, it was heaven. You know, I just considered it all living, you know. And, and, and so again, in high school, it's academics weren't for me. I didn't even correlate the fact that I'm here to learn that something that's going to serve me later in life. This was just one big social event, you know, I mean, it was, it was, I had a blast and I ran with a group of guys that we just lived life to the absolute fullest. It was the wildest and craziest run. Um, so I don't know how to describe that. And then after all that, yeah, I, you know, I continued to be a pretty wild man after high school and up to about 23 is when I really started to settle down. Once I got out of high school, I was a worker, man. I worked. I, the first thing I did is went and worked in a machine shop for three and a half years, working 61 hours a week. And so I just, I loved making money. I loved working hard. And I just worked hard and I played hard, which I continue to do, do to this day. So I don't know if I'm answering your question, but that. Yeah, well, no, you are. And, and I'm curious, you know, about kind of the, the high school jump into work, you know, was it college just not something that you thought was an option to you, had no interest in it? What was kind of your brother doing, people around you, you know, people in your high school, your friends, your buddies that you were running with? You know, did nobody go or was this something you just said, you know, not for me? And kind of how were your parents with all of that? Yeah, yeah. So um, it was definitely not for me. I clearly knew. So most of my friends went off to college. Hundred percent. I mean, they went to school. That was the path. But but if I knew it was not for me, I knew that I wanted out of academia as fast as possible. I knew I was going to be successful. There was not a doubt in my mind. I knew how much I was going to make at twenty five years old. I was going to be a millionaire by age thirty. So very driven from that standpoint. No. So I just knew, and, and I spent a tremendous amount of time at college. From, from 18 to 22 or 21. So so I spent many a weekend. So I got all the social benefits. We had yeah. a lot of fun up there. At, you yeah. know, so I would go up and stay with my friends. But no, yeah. it was it, to, to sit in a classroom for another minute was the last thing on earth I was ever going to do. Yeah. And I guess I'm, I'm a little kind of struck just because I have kids, you know, that are, you know, going off to school. One's in college, one's going next year. And, and, you know, I look at kind of their friends and the environment that they're living in and like not going to college is just like not an option. Right. And I think it's that way for most people. And, and I think part of the reason why it's not an option is because it's just so kind of 
built into the fabric of our society that that is what you are supposed to do. And if you don't do it, then something's wrong or off, right? And and I'm wondering, like, did that take courage for you to kind of make that decision that you weren't going to do that? Where And, and where did this kind of strength come from that had you clear that you knew you would be successful and you knew that you were going to make this money by certain ages? You know, where did you get that kind of self uh, kind of confidence to be able to know that and make those decisions. Yeah. So you said a word earlier, rebellious. So I'm, I'm extremely rebellious uh, by nature. And I was back then. And, and so uh, I'm going to shoot forward to today and then I'm going to shoot back to answer your question because, you know, my new project, which we're going to talk about later, is all about helping entrepreneurs in the making get a huge jump start on taking their entrepreneurial leap and starting a better startup. Well, there's an old saying by Danielle Kennedy that says, we teach what we needed the most. And so I'm teaching this new content and this new passion. I'm teaching what I needed the most because at 18, I was this mislabeled derelict. I was this entrepreneur in the making. I was lost, confused, insecure. And so it was my rebellious nature that was pushing against all of the forces. Um, and so a lot of that confidence was a facade <laughs> But it, and I was terrified, but I also knew in my gut I was going to be successful and wanted to be very successful. So, so I don't know if that answers it, but, but I want to share that because that was my current state at 18. It's not like I had it all figured out and had this perfect plan, just the opposite. I was terrified. Um, I just knew that academics were not the way for me to learn the things that I wanted to learn. And the things that I wanted to do in life. Yeah, well, I, I do think it's really important, and it's kind of why I have found this uh, kind of method of, of of interviewing people to be really important is because I see each one of these steps as really critical to ultimately end up doing what you're doing. And I love that you are solving problems that you experienced in your own life. I mean, to me. That's really where, you know, kind of the gold is, is that you experience something, you embodied something to the extent that you actually know what you want to fix for other people. You know, that's a beautiful thing. And so all of this seems to really be serving you uh, and, you know, now serving and, and having served many others. Yeah, there's no question. And, you know, and, and on the college conversation, you know, I... This, this path that the world is being forced to take, I, I, I disagree with it for everyone. And so yeah. certainly if you're going to go be a professional, a doctor, uh, an attorney, I mean, there's certain paths that you must go to college. But if you are an entrepreneur, and this is my discovery and aha, but if you're an entrepreneur in the making, you do not have to go to college. You are you can succeed in life without going to college. Now, I write an entire chapter in the book called College or Not and Give All the Data so that you can decide for yourself. When in doubt, you probably should go to college because if you're not an entrepreneur, you're probably going to need that degree to get a job because unfortunately, that's the way it works right now. Uh, but if you are an entrepreneur, there's nothing written that says you have to go to college. And, uh, and, and you know, I'm the living proof. But at the same time, the statistics are, of all small business owners, only like 46% have a degree. So most yeah. small business owners don't have a degree. So those are, those are, that's the data. And, and, and again, I teach what I needed the most. And so my passions, my teachings, the, thing I'm, the things that I'm obsessed about, they absolutely all stem from wounds and pain from the past. And so yeah. that is absolutely why I'm teaching that, that mislabeled derelict that I was back at 18 so that Anybody out there that's age 13 to 23 that's kind of struggling with figuring all this out, this is a how-to manual if you think you've got this genetic encoding. Yeah, and, and I want to come back and talk uh, about LEAP really in, in depth. Um, I want to kind of talk through the, the journey towards that a sure. little bit more yeah. Yeah. Um, because you know you talk about kind of this mislabel and the pain. And, and I think you're right. I, I think, unfortunately, and this is kind of back to the intelligence thing. You know, I, I think street intelligence, um, to me, um, that's, that's, you know, there, oftentimes I think intelligence gets confused with knowledge. You know, people that learn a lot in school know a lot. You know, it's like the, 
I think it's uh, the Einstein saying, like, you know, if you can look it up, why do you need to learn it? Right. Like, you know, especially more true today than ever, you know, and I think maybe there's even a little bit of a, a movement to recognizing, thanks to you and others, that, that, you know, there are different ways to learn, there are different ways to be intelligent, and there are different ways to succeed. And that, you know, college isn't for everybody, or, you know, you don't have to necessarily study business, you can study philosophy, you know, you don't have to be a doctor or lawyer, the things that, you know, when I was growing up were so highly valued, you can be, but it's that passion. It's the passion that you really want to pull out of people. And, and so, you know, I, I want to kind of back up to your journey. You know, the, the, you go into work. You just go straight into work. And, and I'm wondering kind of how do these various jobs start to kind of pull on the threads of your passions? How does that start to emerge for you where you can see, you know, where you are, what you're passionate about? Yeah. So, and then I'll just kind of run age 18 to 24, because there's a lot in what you just asked. And there's all these amazing learning experiences. And so again, I, out of high school, went to work in that machine shop for three and a half years. And, and I learned all about hard work and I worked hard and I saved money. And I was fully intending on taking my entrepreneurial leap but I was still so immature. That's where I was just, like I said, working and playing hard. I mean, I was partying. I was working hard. I was having a blast with friends. My wife and I have been together since we were 17 years old. And so she and I were dating through that period. I mean, we just lived large. Uh, and I was making a ton of money at that age where all of my friends were off at college, not making any money, you know. And so I had a brand new car and, life, you know, just life was, I was living large. Anyway, but the plan was always to save up money and take my leap. Not that I knew it was called taking a leap back then. And so my first leap was I thought I was going to open a corporate travel agency. And so I left the machine shop. I had saved $8,500 I had in my account. I was going to go off and you know start a business, do something. And I went to work for a corporate travel agent selling and uh, learned very quickly that that's the last business on the planet I want to be involved in or own. So I learned there, I, that's not the business for me. And so now I've learned how to hard, I've learned hard work. I learned a little bit of sales, learned that wasn't for me. I started, I did a mail order business that failed. I started buying and selling real estate, rental properties, actual properties, flipping properties through that, did decent but by this point, I had burned through my $8,500 and I had real estate agents putting the commission in their pocket. And I thought to myself, I'm going to get my license and I'm going to put that commission in my pocket. And so went and got my license, failed the test the first time because I did the one week crash course. I didn't take it serious because I thought it would be a piece of cake. That was a punch in the stomach. That was like my first real failure uh, as I looked at it. And it took the wind out of my sails. And that was actually my wake-up call where I, I decided it's time to take life serious. I ended up getting my real estate license. The intention was to do it for my investments. But backstory, my dad was built a company that was the number one real estate sales training company in North America. I did not get my license with that intent. But after failing the test the first time, retaking the test and passing and kind of bumping along with real estate investing, I realized at that point, I had this saying where I said, I realized that there was no get rich quick. There's only get rich slow. And, and, and I decided to get into real estate full bore as a real estate agent. And, and I got in at around age 22, 23, somewhere in there, 22, I think. I was in real estate for just under three years. Uh, was incredibly successful, rookie of the year, sold $5 million in real estate my final year, making a six-figure income. Um, uh, so again, going into that, lost all that money that I saved. That was the first time I went broke, but again, very successful in real estate and all of a sudden making great money as a 23-year-old kid. And Gino, sorry, just let me hop in for a second. At that age, with these jobs, with the, the travel, the real estate, kind of everything that you were dabbling in, was it just that you wanted to make money and be successful? Was that kind of the primary thought at that age? Or was there any 
part of kind of the idea of passion that had emerged for you yet? Or is just straight drive? I want to make money and be successful. 100% just wanted to make money. Yeah. And, and, And so during this, I then, once I really understood what my dad's company did and what it did for me, because I took all of his training, Uh, from his partner, I then set a goal for myself that I want to be the president of his company. I want to run that company. I just fell in love with his company and he didn't want his kids in the business. We'll come back to that in just a second. But up until that moment, with everything I just shared, I was also going to every seminar I can find, reading every book I could find. Back then it was audio cassettes, listening to every audio cassette. I mean, I was a sponge for knowledge but again, I learned my way, my pace. I could not have, you know, done that in academia. I was this sponge for knowledge. And, uh, and I just learned a bunch of success principles because I learned how to set goals. I learned how to sell. I learned how to bust my ass. Top producer. I lived that life. All the plaques, all the trophies, all the this, all the that. Yeah. But isn't so- it fascinating that like when, when you wanted to, you could learn Absolutely. with the best of them. Absolutely. I mean, knowledge wasn't the issue. It was that you exactly. you had to f- be connected to what you were learning. You know, and there was this story that really sat with me back then. It was, uh, and I won't get it perfectly, and I won't even get it close to perfect. But there's a story about this homeless man on a bench, and and somebody was interviewing him, and in so many words, he was convinced he was going to be successful, and ended up becoming successful, but but. I correlated that to me in my party years from 18 to 21. I knew I was going to be successful. But first and foremost, I was going to live it up (laughs) uh, during this period in my life because I figured this is my opportunity to just blow off steam, have a blast, live large. So I always knew I was going to be successful, but I still wasn't fully ready to put put 100% of me into it. And so that point at like 23, when I decided to take life serious, I got engaged at that point. It was like 22. I don't, the ages are off by a year plus or minus, but I got engaged. I said, enough is enough. Got in my last fist fight, uh, got knocked out because somebody sucker punched me from behind. And I said, I'm never fighting again. And I haven't since. It's funny. I've been in one fight in my life and it was a sucker punch. Yeah. So (laughs) the only fight I was ever in. I've been in a lot of them and I'm happy to say I didn't start a single one. I was always defending somewhat of myself, but I never backed down from a fight. In other words, Uh you were just inviting it if you were looking for a fight. So, it's so funny because I, I mean, I know you as this like oh, yeah. really like, you know, melty, kind, loving, yeah. great dude. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't see you as a fighter, but it's great to know that you had that in you oh, back yeah. in and the day. Was, you, know? That, you know, that was still <laughs> the releasing of all of this anger and this pent yeah. up whatever. So, so 23 decided to take life serious after all of this learning and experience, et cetera. Again, maybe 22. And, and again, that's when I full steam ahead, set that goal to become president of the company. My dad didn't want the kids in the business. Again, there were three boys. And, um, but my partner, but my dad's partner uh, was enamored with me and convinced my dad. And so my dad said to me, this is while I was selling real estate. He said, if you want to get involved in this company, go sell $5 million in real estate. And once you do that, then come talk to me. And there's an incredible lesson in that for anyone out there with second generation entrepreneurs. If you're son or daughter potentially wants to get involved in the business or you want them in the business, have them go be successful somewhere else. You know, again, in this new book, I write a whole chapter on second and third generation entrepreneurs from my experience. So that, that lesson was incredible. And so I went out, I sold $5 million in real estate. Once I hit that number, he said, okay, I came to work for the business. I started at the bottom selling his products door to door. I went from a six figure income to 25 grand a year. That was the second time I went broke. Uh, but I wanted it so bad. I worked my way up through that company in a year and a half, worked through every aspect of that business to taking over as president, literally in less than a year and a half, replacing the prior president. Uh, the reality was the company was in dire need of help. It, was, it needed a turnaround. It was in deep, ugly debt. The Gulf War had hit. And, and so I really felt like I could save the business. And I ended up, like I said, replacing the president, taking the reins of the business. As the story goes, my dad handed me the keys to the business and a $100,000 check and said, 
if you can save it, here you go. And the rest was kind of history. Yeah. So I'm curious, kind of going back to that lesson about needing to go do the 5 million before you could come in. Was that because he wanted you to have the self-confidence that you were successful on your own right? Or was that because he wanted to see how committed you were? You know, why, or why do you give that advice now? Yeah, yes, 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 and yes. And yeah. every other question you would have asked because it was about confidence. It was about mm-hmm. respect from the people that mm-hmm. would work for me someday. It was uh, all, of, all of the above. And so yeah. it, it, it definitely gave me the confidence. It definitely gave me the respect from the people around me when I took the business over. Um, it showed that I could do this, you know, yeah. uh, somewhere else. But, I, but I, I'm so convinced by that experience. I advise every one of my clients and anyone toying with this idea that have your kid go become successful somewhere else before you bring them into the business. It's the best thing you can do for them. Yeah. Gina, before we fast forward into your next step in your career and your life, you mentioned therapy coming into your life, I think around this time, age mm-hmm. 23 to 30 is what I think you said. Yeah. And you know, therapy is something that has been very important in my life. And it's something that I've really found people um, take great um, kind of comfort in hearing others talk about, especially men. You know, I gave this speech here in Columbus um, early or er, in uh, earlier in the year. I guess it was earlier in the year. It's hard to believe that was still this year, where it was to a large group at the Chamber of Commerce at their annual event here in, in Columbus. And I talked about being in therapy and I talked about my upbringing and it really surprisingly resonated with people. It was a business community. A lot of men aren't talking about these kinds of things. So if you don't mind, tell me a little bit about your experience in therapy and how that really did start to um, kind of bring you into who you really are and, and kind of how your then life and work evolved from the work you did in therapy. Sure. Sure. Well, I always like to say I've never met anyone that didn't need a little bit of therapy. Okay. And so it is my recommendation to everyone, everyone on this planet. So I'm a believer. And I always say I did my seven years in my twenties, like I said to you. So you're reminding me now of the age. So I got in therapy when I got into real estate. So I was like age 21, maybe 22. So somewhere in there, uh, it was by the advice of my dad. And what was going on at that point in time, you know, play back all that history, the anger and whatever the other things going on with me. But I, I was feeling this incredible pressure because I got into the real estate industry and I'm selling residential real estate and I'm Floyd Wickman's son, okay? And so you have to understand, he, he was the guru in the real estate industry. There were 100,000 students that took his program. And, and here I am, I'm Floyd Wickman's son in real estate. I was fucked from the word go from a standpoint of, I was damned if I didn't, I was damned if I didn't. And so if I succeeded, well, of course you're going to succeed, you're Floyd Wickman's son. And if I failed, how the hell could you fail your Floyd Wickman's son? So I, I couldn't win, you know? And so I was feeling this incredible pressure. So started going to therapy. And when I say you need to do your seven years, you know, it starts out weekly and then every other week and then once a month and then you go once a quarter and then you're just kind of going whenever you feel like you need to go. And so, you know, by year seven, I was probably going once a year. So it just helped me work through all that. But the greatest lesson I came, that I came out of it with is two words, fuck them. Okay. And so what my therapist taught me is fuck them. And so I was so worried about what everyone else thought. I was so worried about everyone's perception. I was so busy trying to be all things to all people and, and, and bending to their will and it, that I just learned that, you know, for the last time, fuck them. So that was really, that was really, really powerful and helpful. Yeah, it's it's a it is a really powerful message, and I think it's one that you know today's day and age, you know, you have to be a little careful with too, because 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 fuck them doesn't mean that you don't um, have some sensitivity and and care about those around you. It just means that you care about yourself too, and you care about yourself in a way that you're not going to let everybody else define you or keep you from really just being who you are, right? I mean, it's, um, 
it's a it's a it's a really hard learning. Yeah, very hard learning. It, and you know, when you say that, it prompts a couple of things. Number one, the last thing you're going to find from me is political correctness, and so I'm more of a I prefer to punch you in the face with something you need to hear than than you know tickle you with it. So so that's the first thing. Number two, if there's a softer way to say it now later in life, what I'm teaching is let your freak flag fly. You know, just mm-hmm. just be yourself 100%, no holds barred, because that's what that's saying. That's the kinder, gentler way of saying fuck them. And so in no way was it this, you know, screw everybody, I'm better than everyone. It was ignore their opinions, ignore their judgment. Don't let their judgment get to you. And so, you know, back in my gritty state, I needed to hear it exactly that way. That helped me really understand how to not let that judgment mess with me. Yeah, well, I think there's some power in that language too. I mean, that is a message that really needs to be heard really clearly, loudly, boldly. And there's probably not a better word than fuck to be able to say that, you know? Uh, but, but you know, um, I really think this is like a thing that, you know, as you start to talk about, you know, being an entrepreneur, being an individual, you know, flying that flag, uh, this is really, really tough. I see this in like the venture space. This is part of why I've kind of gotten into venture and we've talked about, you know, my passion for doing venture different, expanding it. It's it's that, you know, there's this pressure. There's this pressure that's built in, not not too dissimilar from the pressures that, you know, are go to college. You know, when you get into to business and the entrepreneur world, the pressure might be you got to raise capital, you got to please investors. You got to drive valuation. If you're a public company, you got to go quarter to quarter. I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, people, things, you know, kind of expectations. And to really just totally live into fuck them, you know, fly the freak flag, uh, the, you know, it, it doesn't just stop once you decide that you're going to, you know, be an entrepreneur or you're going to live your life however you're going to live it. It keeps coming at you. You got to keep being able to live into who you are. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit about kind of how you started to really do that despite whatever challenges were coming to you. Yeah, for sure. And again, so therapy was a big part of it in my 20s. And again, I'll shoot forward a little bit in history and then come back because then there were a couple other big moments where um, I went to Landmark Forum. And so Landmark Forum, I had a big aha moment about vulnerability. And I realized, so I, I was probably 32 years old. and I realized that I had this Teflon shell that was a foot thick and and I just would not let people in. And something happened in that long weekend that I literally just shed that shell, that suit of armor and, and realized the power of being totally vulnerable. And so that ties right to let your freak flag fly, be 100% you. And it was, I was literally like, 10,000 pounds lighter at that moment. And so that was yeah. that was a big moment that was the message back at 22, 23, 24, but really didn't fully sink in until that point. And then the other thing I started to do in my early 30s was start to learn about spirituality, meditation, things like mm-hmm. that, which I know is right up your alley. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the Celestine Prophecy, when I read that book, it was like, is that that's such a great kind of like spirituality 101. It's a great entry book into starting to understand uh, mm. some of those things. And so those things really helped. And 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 then the other thing that's that's r- rolling around in my head that I have to say, you know, if I hear this term imposter syndrome one more freaking time. And so mm-hmm. you know, that's the latest term. Um, but, but what I always say, because I, I've been asked on podcasts three or four times about this, and it comes up a lot with the work that I'm doing now because a lot of these people are young people trying to decide if they're entrepreneurs or not. Imposter syndrome is nothing more than insecurity, okay? It's just, we're all insecure, mm-hmm. you know? And ultimately, sure. you get to this point where you you start to gain some confidence, but you have to start somewhere. You have to pursue things that you're not good at yet. You, mm-hmm. I, I'm a believer in fake it till you make it, okay? And it's mm-hmm. not in a not in a... Not in a unintegrous way. I'm trying to think of the perfect way. But it, yeah. but you, when you put yourself out there, when you start a new job, when you start a business, when you, whatever it is, 
you, of course, you have no idea what you're doing. And the only way you're going to learn to do what you're going to do is by doing it and practicing it and getting good at it. And, and that journey from that day you start to the day you have the confidence because you've done enough to call that imposter syndrome. I just have a hard time. I don't love the connotation. You're going to, during that journey, feel insecure. You're going mm-hmm. to feel unworthy. You're going to feel these different emotions that are just normal. And so it drives me crazy that there's some negative connotation or you shouldn't have that, as they call it, imposter syndrome. That's just called being a human being, taking a risk, yeah. putting yourself out there and getting good at something. Yeah. You know, I, I actually struggle with the fake, fake it till you make it language, um, but I use it uh, in the right situation. And I have to kind of try to explain it like you just did, because I really believe that what it really is, is you are, you're kind of going, stepping into your best self even though you might not feel that way, that is actually who you really are. And sometimes you have to kind of uh, force yourself to be your best self, even if you don't feel that. And so the same is true with, you know, like you said, you know, if you're gonna eventually be that all-star, you gotta kind of start somewhere. And if you just tell yourself you're not, then you're never gonna even have a chance. Yeah, and I love, you. so I, Fake it till you make it gets that same visceral reaction with everyone right now. And I don't understand yeah. why, because it was so appropriate 30 years ago. And so I don't know what's happened if we've turned yeah. into wimps or what, but but call it what you call it. If you're pick any career, any job, but let's just talk about sales for a minute, since that was my background. If you're gonna go get a sales job for the first time and you're gonna go on your first appointment and try to sell something, you're terrified. You, you, you don't know everything. The only way to learn is to put yourself in that situation. So what's a better way to say that in in front of that prospect or that customer or that potential client, you've got to do the best you can with everything you know and make that sale with good intent, but to say, I'm terrified. I only know 25% of what I should at this point in my career. I, to, to share the, 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 the prospect, the potential client or customer, they don't want to hear all of that. So call yeah. that what you call that, but that's just all part of life's journey and putting yourself out there and taking risks. When you go start a business, you're petrified, you're terrified. You don't have all the answers. So call yeah. that what you want to call that, but you damn well better put on a confident face as you build that business. Because if you walk around petrified in front of all your employees and all of your customers and clients, you're going out of business, baby. So anyway, yeah. so I, I don't know if that makes sense, but uh, it it does because eventually, you know, once you are confident, you know, once you're not terrified, then then you know you don't have to fake it anymore. And so you know, again, you know, you kind of have to just grind, fake it, you know, call it what you want to get to that point. I agree with you. I want to back up to landmark because I'm remembering, and I think we've talked about this before. I also have been profoundly impacted by the experience of Landmark Forum. And, I, had a, and it's I had a funny feeling. <laughs> yeah, and, and, it's, and it's funny because you can see it in people and you recognize years later, and I haven't been involved in many years, but my wife and I went, we had family that, that uh, had really benefited from it, was always talking about it. It was kind of calling me, we went, and I actually had similar language. The language that I uh, came away was, um, and I'll, I'll I'll forget the entire possibility, but the kind of key piece was author of my own life, and and so it, there's something about that experience that that is really profound. You know, it, it has gotten a bad rap in in kind of years past, but I think there's there's something that kind of has been pulled out of landmark. As you've then started to go into EOS and to leap, right? Like, and it's not necessarily this like copycat kind of thing. It's like the experience of transformation, maybe the experience of, you know, seeing other people thrive in life because of something you're doing, uh, right? I mean, is there a well, correlation I, I, to that? Well, to- I would just describe it as. I can't remember who created Landmark Forum. I can't remember the name, uh, but uh, Warner Warner Earhart. Yeah, Warner Earhart. Earhart. Yeah. So yeah. it's just the process he created of taking you on this incredible 
journey of self-discovery. I mean, it's masterful what he created. And so, you know, I'm not smart enough to figure that out or even try to figure out, I don't want to. I just know the impact it had on me. It got a bad connotation because it's been considered a cult <laughs> because right. there are about a million of us out there that have gone through it. But also in the early days, you you couldn't go to the bathroom so people would wear a catheter so they could pee because they couldn't get up and go to the bathroom. I mean, so that, yes, it, yeah. you're going to get- and negative, In the 60s, it was a little <laughs> yeah. off, but- You're, you're, you're going to get, get negative connotations from that. But it's right. but it's this, this incredible process of self-discovery where you just have this ability to kind of step outside of yourself and really see yourself for what and who you truly are. And it's enlightening. And how the hell he did it, I have no freaking clue. But he did, and that's all that matters to me. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm not going to waste any time figuring out how it happened or explaining how it happened. It just did, and I recommend it for everyone because it's it's powerful. And I I just did the long weekend, and I think I did a couple meetings after that. So I didn't go all the way in as many many people do. But it's yeah. it's it, if you're a fanatic about learning and a fanatic about self discovery, it's a great yeah. it's a great tool in the tool shed of all the ways to learn. Yeah. to learn more about yourself. Okay, well, let's talk about uh, EOS as a tool, and then we're going to really um, spend our time on LEAP. But I, a lot of people that, that might be listening uh, probably have read Traction or um, have you know, been involved in EOS. Talk to me just a little bit about kind of how EOS became what it, what it became and, and kind of you know, your experience with that journey, yeah. that part of the journey. Yeah, so... Uh, so- Upon taking over the family business, doing the big turnaround, it took me three years to turn that business around. My dad as the visionary, myself as the integrator, that's where I invented the visionary integrator concept. I ran the business for a total of seven years. Uh, so got it growing again, got it healthy. We then successfully sold the business. I stayed on for a year and a half to transition in the new leadership team out of Virginia and then retired from the company. I got out of a three-year contract. It was excruciating working for someone. Well, about six years into that journey, I got in Strategic Coach. And in Strategic Coach, I learned what my unique ability was. And it was an aha moment because I realized of the 100% of my working time I was spending doing the stuff I was doing running that business, and I had my hands in everything, I realized there was about 10% of what I was doing, maybe 5%, that was my true unique ability. And I had an aha moment that I'm here to help people run their businesses better. I'm here to help people get what they want from their businesses. I'm here to help entrepreneurs live incredible lives. And so with that clarity, I decided that's what I'm doing next. And again, we sold the business. I stayed on for a year and a half. I then uh, took a nine-month sabbatical after leaving the company and did a lot of soul searching as to what this next thing looked like. And I threw myself out there and started helping businesses. Had no idea what I was going to do exactly, but after five years of honing, trying, testing everything I had ever learned over the last 10 years, uh, I put the finishing touches on what is EOS now. And EOS is a very specific process, a set of tools that helps an entrepreneur of a 10 to 250 person privately held company get everything they want out of their business. Helps them run that business like a Swiss watch. And so then shoot forward. Once I finished creating it, I partnered with my partner, Don Tinney. He was a minority owner. I own the majority of the business. We joined forces and we now have 375 EOS implementers teaching that system. Uh, we have 100,000 companies running on that system. I sold that business two and a half years ago. I still own 12.5%. I still own the books. I'm still the EOS guy. I still do my speaking, things like that. So half my working time is still EOS. But it all stemmed from this experience, this incredible learning experience in my 20s. My dad was an amazing mentor of mine, as well as a gentleman by the name of Sam Cup. And, and I just realized this is what I'm built for. I'm, I'm here to help entrepreneurs, I like to say, pull them out of ignorance and suffering because they make their lives way too difficult. And I help them run, run their businesses like a Swiss watch. And, uh, and that's the fastest version I can get sure. of how, what, yeah. where U.S. came from. Yeah, well, and, and it's, you know, it really is, you know, I think an important part of the journey as you start to now talk about Leap. And I, and I have been an EOS uh, advocate and client and, you know, it, and, and have it in my system and have for a very long time and was so fortunate to have found it because I'm a visionary 
And, and I'm not somebody that likes to operate businesses. And I was operating a business and not real happy doing it. And so, you know, I said to um, my COO at the time, I said, you got to find a system. This isn't working. Go pull something off the shelf. There's systems out there. I hear people talking about it. I was in YPO. I, you know, I heard my friends at EO. People were talking about this thing. And of course, our mutual friend, uh, Mike Payton, who had kind of sat on my couch and handed me a manuscript to, to uh, traction back in the day and said, read this. And I had no idea what he was doing. I was working with a coach at the time. I thought I had the best coach in the world. And, and I thought, this, is, this isn't coach. I don't know what the hell this thing is. And it wasn't until I was in my own business and I had that experience where I needed a system that I really understood EOS and thank God I found it. It was amazing. We still operate on it and everything I do operates on it. But I'm really excited to kind of talk about kind of then why leap because I'm happy to be collaborating with you on this. I think there's so much great, great stuff here for the early part of this journey, right? <laughs> By the time you get to EOS, you know, you've kind of like, I've already fumbled and, and made all, a lot of all the mistakes. I mean, it's been torture getting that far. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I'm now like you loving being able to support entrepreneurs in their journey. And, and so let's talk about Leap. Tell me how that came to be for you, how this experience that you shared with us early on in your life, and then kind of, you know, how you're, uh, rolling leap out now. Yeah, you bet. So it's interesting because another strategic coach tie-in, it happened when I was 40 years old and we were doing Dan Sullivan's tool called Bigger Future, which got me to look out 10 years. And what I realized, I said, when I turn 50, so I'm sitting there at 40 years old, I said, when I turn 50, I'm going to shift my energy to the front end of the entrepreneurial journey. And so, you know, up until this point, I've spent almost three decades helping existing successful entrepreneurs become even more successful. So now I decided I'm going to go to that front end of the journey. And so literally right around my 50th birthday, which one of the reasons I sold EOS Worldwide, that freed up my energy and creativity to really put my energy now into this new project. It's called Entrepreneurial Leap. That's the name of the book. And in its simplest form, like I said earlier, I'm teaching my 18-year-old self, but it's really for anyone, any age, age 10 to 110, if you think you might be an entrepreneur in the making, this is the tool to help you confirm whether you are or you aren't, show you a glimpse of the future in all of your possibility, in all of the possibilities, and then show you a path to get there. And like you said, help you avoid all of the mistakes or at least half of them that you're about to make. Some of them you still need to make. And so that's the, that's the idea. That's the, that's the book. That's the content at a very, very high level. And the mission is to impact a million entrepreneurs in the making over the next 10 years. And so that's what I've been hunkered down doing. And what I'm doing is joining forces with collaborators. Obviously, you are one of them. And what that is, is that's anyone out there that wants to help teach, guide, mentor, coach entrepreneurs in the making. And I give you my content to use freely. And it's a great relationship because you get to be a hero to the people that you're helping in your life. and. Um, and for me, it's just a pure book play. I'm not looking to build another empire around this thing. So it's the ultimate win-win. And, you know, when I think about your audience out there, you know, I'm guessing your audience, there's probably a lot of entrepreneurs in the audience. And so for anyone out there that wants to help people with this content, you know, go to the website, e-leap.com, click on become a collaborator. Or if you are someone that has an entrepreneur in the making in your life, and you want to mentor them, or you're trying to figure out if your son or daughter has what it takes, this is an amazing tool to help you help them. And so I urge you to hand them a copy of the book, but also you read the book to, to really understand that. And then the other audience, if you will, in terms of your audience, I never expected that an existing visionary entrepreneur with a company that's pretty successful would get value out of this book. And so what's happened is, you know, when they read it, uh, it just lights them up. And so you as a visionary, any visionary out there, it's like reading your life story and it just gets you all the way back to the basics. And you have all these incredible ahas and it just kind of resets your soul, if you will. And, and so that's it in a nutshell. And we can go as deep into that as you want, but that's what it's all about. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, just kind of picking up on the 
the last part of that from a visionary standpoint, you're right. I mean, in some ways, when you're going through the experience and you're just committed to your vision and you're grinding and you want to be successful and you want to see it happen and you want to do it your way and it's and and all these things are happening. It's bumpy and it's windy and it's backwards and forwards. The whole thing is kind of this like wild experience. You know, when you kind of read it in Entrepreneurial Leap, you're like, oh, wait, like that's just how it goes. You know, like there's these steps, these things that happen in this journey. And so like the beautiful thing, what I love about it is you can hand it to somebody before and say, here's what's going to happen. You know, how do you feel about it? If that lights you up, okay, that's a good sign. If, if that scares the hell out of you, you know, we, we want to talk. So I like kind of, and I love, you know, the simplicity of confirm the glimpse, the path, the way that you break this down, because I think that really helps make it digestible for people. Sure. And, and I think, you know, you start with confirm, yeah. you know, there's this kind of like maybe trend now where, you know, maybe Silicon Valley or whatever the aspirational, you know, kind of self-managed company, you know, there's all this like, I want to be free, you know, um, kind of uh, a share economy stuff happening, right? The millennial thing, like it's not for everybody. That first step is really, really critical. Here, here. Yeah, and that was, that's, that was the whole idea behind Confirm and my aha is that before we even talk about entrepreneurship, let's make sure you have what it takes to become an entrepreneur. And so that's the whole focus on the first third and the first part of the book. I believe there are six essential traits that every true entrepreneur has. You're either born with them or you're not. There's an assessment. It's free and available, again, on the website, e-leap.com. But it takes you through this process of literally scanning your body and making sure that entrepreneurship is right for you because it's not for everyone. I believe 4% of the population is meant to be an entrepreneur. And so it is kind of a punch in the gut for some people that realize they're not, but I believe I'm doing them a service because I'm preventing them from 10 years of hell if this is not for them. However, right. if you do take the assessment, score 90 or higher, you are probably an entrepreneur in the making. Then we take you to Klimt's and really light you up. Yeah, the other thing that I really like, and I, and I want to talk a little bit about kind of your model for collaboration. Um, but what, one of the other things that you said, which I think is really interesting, is as a parent, the value of understanding this. Because if your kids are coming to you and they're saying, I don't want to go to college, or if they're coming to you and saying, I want to start my own business, or whatever it is, at whatever age, you know, there's a lot of young entrepreneurs out there right now. You know, to understand your child in that way and to be able to maybe take yourself out of the equation and try to support them, this is a great tool. Here, here. You know, I guess my point with my parents giving us so much freedom to carve our own path. I mean, that was so, so helpful. So yes, it's going to help you understand your son or daughter uh, if they're exhibiting these signs of an entrepreneur and you might be getting frustrated with them because of the ADHD and the you know, the anyway, all the traits that go on with an entrepreneur. So it's going to help you understand them better. It's going to help them understand themselves better. And it is going to help you, again, just read that chapter on college or not. Look at all the data, see all the facts. It's going to give you a sense of peace in helping your son or daughter make the right choice for themselves. Yeah. And, and you know, your uh, father, I believe, wrote a book on mentorship, right? And mentorship becomes a big part of this. So, you know, just kind of, you know, having spent this hour with you and connecting the dots and seeing the role that your parents played from that early childhood, watching, learning, observing, you know, the whole thing, um, now to be able to write your own books, mm. right? And to be able to offer something uh, for parents and for other entrepreneurs, um, you know, the mentorship is a big piece of this too. Maybe you sure. could speak to that, but it's just, it's really a, it's really a kind of a, a full circle thing for you, right? I mean, this is, sure. you have taken your whole life, all of that experience to get you to be doing the work that you're doing. You bet. And so I write an entire chapter in the path part of the book on, on finding a mentor and the power of mentorship. And, and certainly I reference my dad's book because, yes, he wrote the book on mentoring, which is so incredible. 
So in a nutshell, though, I would say a couple of things. If you out there have interest in mentoring entrepreneurs in the making, you'll see a tool in a video called Mentor Track. It's a five-step track that will, I will do 80% of the heavy lifting for you on the front end to make sure you've got a great protege to mentor and they're ready for you. Um, and so there's a really simplified track. Go to the website, e-leap.com. You'll find it there, Mentor Track. Little deeper dive on that though, and getting into some of my dad's teaching, and this is all in that chapter. But the real secret in mentorship and just focusing on an entrepreneur in the making, you will succeed and you will be fine without a mentor. So it's important to start there and know that. And of all of the research I did, you know, half of these successful entrepreneurs had mentors, half didn't. So it's not a death sentence. But it is a speed pass if you do have a mentor because you learn from all of their experiences. And so a couple of thoughts. Number one, it's about finding someone who is where you want to be. And so there's this tool I offer in the book that helps you really start to understand and decide on what is the right business for you. And the idea is once you have that clarity, go find somebody in that business and, and ask them to be your mentor. And so you just, you got to reach out and you got to ask people and you're going to hear no's because these are busy people. But assuming you find one and you get a yes, you meet for an hour and you talk and you discuss and you share each other's stories. And at the end of that, you decide if you're going to have a mentor-protege relationship. And if you decide yes, you agree on a format going forward. And so my business mentor, Sam Cup, we met every month, 90 minutes for literally five years. My dad's relationship was much more ad hoc in how we did it, but you just agree on a format and you go forward. That's mentorship. And again, it's a speed pass. Now, if you can't get a mentor to say yes, I would urge you to consider going and working for someone who's where you want to be, just like I did in the travel industry and realized I didn't want to do that. And if you can't get paid doing that, then work for them for free because that's its own degree to be entrenched in something that you want to do and learn from that person. So, so that's kind of a high level on mentorship, how important it is and how to find one. Yeah, I think it's really great. I mean, I like this idea that you can just be learning from people all over the here, place. Here. I mean, I learned from from my parents. I've learned from um, jobs. I've learned just from watching people. I learned from my wife. I learned from my kids, right? But I also have had the good fortune of having mentors along the way. One in particular comes to mind, Bruce Saul, who actually was the guy that when I said, I want to go get an MBA, say, just join YPO. YPO led me to my built to lead coaching that started my business. I mean, the, the kind of, you know, learnings that you get along the way, those shortcuts, that speed pass, they can really, really influence your journey. So I think it's wonderful. And, and, you know, and, just, and again, hopefully it came through because worst case, if you can't find a mentor and you can't work for one, go work for them for free for three months and just yeah. get entrenched in their business, be at their beck and call, work for yeah. them 24-7. It's the best education you'll ever get on the business you're about to start. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, kind of last question, I want you to just explain a little bit more about your collaboration model, yeah. because I think this is really unique. It's not that you went out and kind of started an early stage EOS. This is a totally different thing. Exactly. And, and it's really innovative. And you and I are both, you know, really the, been, 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 have benefited greatly from Strategic Coach. The idea of collaboration really, really has hit home for me there. And you've built this whole business on a collaboration model. Talk a little bit about how people can get involved and collaborate. Would love to. So right now we have about 65 collaborators so that you know the number. And, and what, what it's about is first and foremost, I don't want to build another empire. I don't want another 375 implementers all over the world. I don't need another empire. And so this model is different and unique and innovative because it works like this. I'm joining forces with collaborators to give you my content for free. And so a collaborator is anyone out there that wants to teach, mentor, guide, coach, entrepreneurs in the making. These are colleges, high schools, for-profits, non-profits, individuals, again, anyone who's out there teaching entrepreneurs or wants to. Like I said, I give you my content for free. All I ask in exchange is that you give credit where credit's due and let them know that a book exists. Again, for me, it's a book play. It's not about building another empire. This is a passion project of mine. 
with that, you're then free to go teach that content however you want, as much or as little as you want. Um, and then we're just kind of building a community where the collaborators get a quarterly update from me. Uh, we do a brainstorm call here and there, touch base once in a while. We're about to launch a LinkedIn group where they can interact with each other. And this thing is just evolving into something really, really cool where these people, these collaborators are heroes to their audience. And, uh, and that's what's most important to me. I just want them to be more of a hero to their audience. It's, it's the collaborator that I'm most passionate about. And so that's the model. And then there's a little kicker that um, if they actually move directly or indirectly some number of books, then I donate an hour of my time from afar. And so that's kind of the icing on the cake in the relationship. But uh, it's really cool watching some of these things evolve. And so no money changes hands, no contracts, no nothing. It's just total freedom, a bunch of people passionate about helping entrepreneurs in the making. Yeah, it's wonderful. And I'm happy to be uh, able to work with you on this and to have you as a friend and know you and learn from you. And uh, thanks for giving me your time today. Any final thoughts, Gino, that you want to share with the audience and make sure we know where we can find you? We'll put all that stuff in the show notes too. But uh, any kind of final thoughts as we wrap up? Yeah, well, I would say that uh, I think you've taken me deeper than any other podcast. So for this project, I've now done about 70 podcasts, which, like I said, I didn't do any for EOS Worldwide in 20 years. Um, there was one that made me, maybe took me about this deep. So, so you're good at this. You're great at this. It was fun, a little uncomfortable. So that's, that's kind of cool. I like being uncomfortable. Um, so thank you for that. And, and like you said, in terms of where to go, the epicenter of all things Entrepreneurial Leap is e-leap.com. Wonderful. Gino, thanks again. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to, to have this time with you. Had a blast, Brett. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at the Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.